So we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. And if you want to keep your finger there for just a second and just flip over to Ephesians chapter 3 for just a moment. And so from Romans, uh, you go to 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and then Ephesians. So if you're moving to the right, if you want to follow along in the Pew Bible, it's 1218, page 1218. But Ephesians chapter 3, I'm just going to read two verses, 20 and 21. This is right at the end of Paul praying that we'd be strengthened in our inner being, that we'd be able to understand the fullness of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And then he says this at the end of verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so I want you to think about what Paul says there for just a second. He says according to the power that is at work within us. And he's talking about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. That when we come to faith in Jesus and God comes and now lives in and with us and never leaves us or forsakes us. In the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is now indwelling you and he is with you and he is teaching you and he is leading you and he is guiding you. And he says that him who is now with us, that is working within us, can do far more abundantly than all that we can ask. So what you could ever dream up to ask, God can do far more than that. But that's not all he says. He says far more abundantly than all that we could ask or even think. We can't even fathom the fullness of what God can do in and through you in the work of the Holy Spirit. We can't even get our heads around it. We can't even fathom what is true of us in Jesus and what God wants to do in and through us and the great power and glory at which he is at work. And I start there with looking at Ephesians 3. Because Paul's talking about setting our mind on the spirit and what it looks like and what it means. And he's pointing us to that in Romans chapter 8. And these really dovetail together. They go together. And so I want us to think today what it means to set our minds on the spirit. That if you have come to faith in Jesus and you've put your faith in him and you've confessed that you're a sinner. And it's all what God does. That he saves us from us. It's not about me, but it's about what God has done. And the Spirit then comes and he tells us that if you are a believer and you've put your faith in him, you have the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if you are in Christ, you have the Spirit of God now indwelling you. And what I want us to think about is just the fullness of the power that's available and what God wants to do in your life. And so often I think we limit that. We miss it. And so what, the way I want us to think about this is first, I kind of want us to clear the table, so to speak. I don't know if you do this. Uh, Monday mornings when I come in, my desk is usually a mess. And the table I have in my office has all kinds of stuff on it. And I always have to clean it up before I start. Right? I want to move everything off and wipe it down and clean it up. And so now it's clean and now I can kind of think. And so I want us to do that because what happens sometimes is we believe certain lies and things that are not true about us, not what God says, but what we think sometimes. And we need to clear some of those things off so we can see clearly. So we're going to start there about what he says is true of us now. In Jesus, who we are and what we're not. But then secondly, I want us to consider the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit that is available and at work within us. We woefully miss which scripture tells us. He can do far more abundantly than all we can ask or even think. And so I want us just to try to expand our vision of what the Holy Spirit can do. 
And then lastly, I want us just to practically start to apply what does that look like to set our minds on the Spirit. If we understand the power that is available and the way God is working and who we are, and then I want us to think about what that would look like to set our mind on the Spirit and not on the flesh. And so, as we start, let's just start with kind of clearing the table, if you will. Let's look at verses 9 to 13, just again, for just a second here. So Romans chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to live to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so think what he says there for just a second. He's telling us that you're now a new creation. You're alive to Christ. You're no longer dead in your flesh. You no longer have to think that way. And so what we've been saying when we've been looking in Romans, the idea of flesh versus spirit. If we're just to kind of summarize what we've said to this point in the book of Romans, the idea of living in our flesh is setting our mind on the things of the world. Instead of saying we were made for God and by God and we want to love him and to love others, we look for ultimate meaning and purpose in the created order rather than the creator. Right? Paul says that in Romans chapter 1. We worship the creation rather than the creator. And that's what it looks like to be a fool. That we're seeking ultimate meaning and purpose from temporary things that cannot give us that. And that's what the flesh looks like. Or if we were to put it in religious terms, we see trying to justify ourselves by what we do rather than what God has done. Again, we're setting our mind on the created things. We are created. And so we're seeking our salvation by what we do, which is the creative, over the creator versus what God has done. And so we could summarize operating in the flesh that way, that we make it all about us and what we see in this life. And we're bombarded with that constantly. That ultimate meaning and purpose will come from things of this life. And so what he's saying here is that's not true of you. Don't set your mind on the flesh. That's not who you are anymore. And so what he tells us is, is, is similar to what he said in chapter 6, which we looked at. It's actually been a couple months ago. But he talks about being a new creation in Jesus. And so, for example, in chapter 6, verse 13, he says, Do not present your members, your body, as sins of instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. He says, you're now alive, spiritually speaking. Don't go back to living the way you used to live. You want to seek righteousness in who you are in God. And he says, you're no longer dead in the flesh. You're no longer bound by that way of thinking. You now see things as they are. That you are made for God. That you're more than just a physical being. That you're a spiritual being. And he says, in Christ you become alive to that reality. And so now you see that you uh, are alive to Christ, you're alive to God, that you're a spiritual being, and you don't have to go back to thinking that way. And he says you really now owe nothing to your old way of thinking, right? He says that in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. He said you don't have to live that way anymore. It serves you no good. 
It's a lie. It's not true. It's not who you are. It's not the way you're made. You are not a random accident that has no ultimate meaning and purpose, but you are created by an infinite creator who loves you and cares for you and has a plan for you. So don't go back to thinking that old way. And so it's kind of clearing the table, if you will, because that's what he's saying. But the scripture also tells us that to go back to living like that is insanity. That it makes no sense to go back to limiting what is true. That you are made for an infinite God. And you're made in his image for ultimate meaning and purpose. And he loves you. To go back to thinking that you're a random accident makes no sense. Peter says it this way in 2 Peter chapter 2. For if after they've escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. Do you hear what he said? He says if you become a believer and you're understanding who Jesus is, and then you go back to living as if he's not real. He says that makes no sense. And then he says in verse 22, uh, what... The true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. And he gives us a pretty vivid analogy here. To see who God is, and to be living for him, and seeing things, and you're a spiritual being, and you're alive to this, and then to go back to not believing that true is like a dog who returns to their vomit. Don't dwell on that too long. If you have dogs... You've seen it, and it's disgusting, and it's gross, but it's a pretty vivid picture. And he says that's what it looks like to go back to living as if God's not real. To go back to believing that you're your Savior instead of what Jesus has done. And he says, so don't do that. That's not who you are. You're not that. And so we need to start there. That's No, that's not true of you. You are alive to Christ. And the Spirit of God now dwells in you because of what Jesus has done for you. And he's powerfully saved you and he's brought you into this knowledge that you are now spiritually alive. And although we struggle with that, and although our flesh is still real and it's still a temptation, we now have the very power of the Holy Spirit in us. And it goes back to what we said in Ephesians chapter 3, the power of the Spirit that can do far more abundantly all that we can ask or think. And so I want us to think about that for just a second. The power that is available to us through what Jesus has done for us. And we woefully underestimate what God can do. As I was thinking about that, it reminded me of a a quote from C.S. Lewis. Uh, C.S. Lewis is a brilliant writer and thinker, became a Christian later in life and became an incredible Christian apologist. And he says so many things that are full and and deep and and just helpful to think about. But, But hear what he says here. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. And what he says is we go back to living in our flesh. That's really what C.S. Lewis is saying. We make our lives to center around the the desires of the flesh, drink and sex and ambition, thinking that we're going to get fulfillment in that. He said that's just like the kid who's sitting in the slum playing with the mud pies and they can't think of anything greater because that's all they know. 
And I was thinking about that analogy that Lewis uses there. I don't know how many of you have actually been to a slum. Right? I mean, we, we have poverty here in North Georgia around us. But to be in a slum? Uh, I went to Uganda earlier in the year. And you go out from the city. And, and really, even in the city. And you go out, and it's all uh, dirt roads and cinder block, one-room houses. And when I read C.S. Lewis saying that, like the child playing in the slum, and they can't imagine something greater. And have that very vivid picture of what that looks like. We can't see past that when we're in that, if that makes sense. Or, or maybe closer to home. I grew or, or lived, I didn't grow up, but I lived in Cumming for 11 years just down the road. Joanna and I now live in Dawsonville. But for 11 years we lived in Cumming right by Sawney Mountain, if you've ever been there. It's off Spot Road in Cumming. It's, it's the mountain <laughs> in Cumming. We call it the mountain, but it barely makes it, right? But it's beautiful. I'm not putting down. Sawney Mountain's great. And there's a cool path you can go up and you can sit up at the top and you can see out over it. And I've done that many times with the boys. From the time they were little until later, we've climbed that lots of times and sat up there, and it's beautiful. But I've also, in my life, had the good fortune to go to Switzerland twice. And I, I, I'm not saying, this is not objective, this is just my own personal experience. I've been to a lot of places. Switzerland's the most beautiful place I've ever been in the world. You go to Switzerland, and, and we flew into Zurich, and we got on a little train, and we went out into the countryside of Switzerland. And around every single bend is 15,000-foot snow-capped mountains with beautiful blue lakes. And then you go around the, and you go, <gasps> and then you go around the next one, and it's even more beautiful. And the next one, and you go and you go. And it's incredible. And so if I were to say to my boys, like the mountains in Switzerland, and they go, ah, oh, like Sunny Mountain. And you go, no, not like Sunny Mountain. Far more abundantly than you could ever believe the beauty of God's creation. It's the same thing we do with the Holy Spirit. We go, yes, God himself lives in and with us. And he's teaching us and he's leading us and he won't forsake us and he's showing us and he's at work. And then we take that idea and we put it in a little box of what God is like. And we say it in a way that's just in a, just a glimpse that's not even close. And so I want us to try to expand our vision of what the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is. Who He is, and that He is with you, and He is living in you, and He's working to bring to glory all that God has for you. And so there's a couple things I want you to think about. Look at verse 11 here first. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Do you hear what he's saying? The Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead gloriously in resurrection as he defeats sin and death. And the Spirit raises him and he says, you now have the very same Holy Spirit in you. If you are in Christ, the Spirit now dwells in you. And the same Spirit that brought Jesus from death to life is now at work in you to bring you from death to life. But that's not all. If you go to Titus chapter 3, Paul writing about what happens to us when we become a believer in Titus chapter 3. And in verse 4 he says this. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. 
Not because of works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Remember, we've talked about this over and over in Romans. You're saved by the grace of God because of his mercy, not because of your good works. And that's what he says. You're saved not by your works and righteousness, but because of God's mercy. He saves you by no doing of your own, but then listen to what he says. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's maybe my favorite word in the Bible. When he says the washing of regeneration, that word regeneration means palagenesia in Greek. And what that means is is to be put in its pristine state, to be made new. And he says, you were saved when the mercy of God comes into your life and the washing of regeneration of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes you new and it takes you from death to life. And he awakens you to the reality of who God is and the way he loves you in Jesus. But that's not all. That word's used one other time in the New Testament. And it's in Matthew chapter 19. And the disciples are asking Jesus about what it will be like when he returns in all his glory. And in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne. And what is translated the new world. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you in the Palagenesia. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne. When all things are made new and I sit on my glorious throne. But understand the connection there. What Paul says in Titus 3 and what Jesus says in Matthew 19. And what he put that together. What Paul says here. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Is the same spirit that brought you from death to life in the washing of the regeneration. Is the same spirit that is going to renew all things. All of God's creation will be made new. And the power that is at work to do that is at work in you right now fully because of what Jesus has done. You have the fullness of the Holy Spirit, God himself, in and with you when you put your faith in Christ. Him who is to will and do the good work of what God has for you. The one who started this good work in you is going to bring it to completion. And simply put, what it says in Ephesians 3 is we woefully underestimate what God can do. And so we have to expand our vision of how God is working. And what he is doing. And what he wants to do in and through you. And the greatness of his love and his power and his mercy that he wants to bring in your life. But then when we get that, I want us to think about what does that look like. Because here he tells us, look at verse 5 and 6. For those who live according to their flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. And, And just honestly, what we all do as believers... God now powerfully comes and he's at work with us and he never leaves us or forsakes us. And the power of the Holy Spirit is now indwelling us. And yet a lot of times we just set our minds on the flesh. And we miss the fullness of what God's calling us to and the power that is available. Or look at verse 13. He says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so that... Picture of what he's saying is available to us. 
But if you set your mind on the Spirit, it's life and peace, he says in verse 6. And so I want us to think about what is that, how does that work? How do you set your mind on the Spirit? Biblically speaking, the idea of your mind is it's not just your thoughts. It's more than that. It's, it's your thoughts, but it's also what engrosses you. What preoccupies your mind, what your thoughts go to, what you're spending your time, not just thinking about, but dreaming about and, and desiring. And so what would it look like to set your mind on the spirit? Well, we know real clearly what scripture tells us. And so if we want to know what the spirit is like, we go to what scripture says, because the spirit inspired the scriptures. And so it's always going to be in direct accordance with what God's word says, what the spirit is doing. But then we could go to like Galatians chapter 5, and it says the fruit of the Spirit. This is what it looks like if you're walking in the Spirit. And it says it's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And so that gives us a pretty good understanding. Have I set my mind on the flesh or have I set my mind on the Spirit? Because when it's set on the Spirit, it's going to be peace and joy and patience and kindness and when those things are absent, I've not set my mind on the Spirit. I'm not walking in the Spirit. Right? That makes sense. Pretty obvious. The fruit of the Spirit that comes. But then the question still remains, how do we do that? What does it mean to set our mind on the Spirit? And so then we go and we look at John 13 through 17. So we call the upper room discourse. Jesus teaching the disciples just a few hours before he will be crucified. He gathers them together. And they have a meal. They celebrate Passover. It's when he institutes the Lord's Supper. But in that, he teaches a whole lot of things and a whole lot of things about the Holy Spirit. And so you want to get a good idea of what it means to set your mind on the Spirit and what the Spirit does in and through you. Go read what Jesus says. And if you read those chapters, it's remarkable some of the things Jesus says. Like in John chapter 16, in verse 7, he says, it's to your advantage. He's talking to the disciples. Right before he's going to be crucified. He says, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I go away, I'm going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, to you. I've thought about that for years. That Jesus said to his disciples that he is physically, bodily with, in that room, it's going to be better for you for me to leave because you're going to now have the Holy Spirit. Now, part of that's because he was going to finish the work of laying his life down and open up that we can receive the Spirit. But the fullness of that is like, I'm going to be with you and I'm never going to forsake you. And I'm going to lead you and I'm going to guide you and I'm going to teach you. And the power that's going to regenerate all things is going to be in and with you at all times. You go, man, that's an amazing thing. But then he says, what does the Holy Spirit do? And he says, the Spirit will come and magnify me. That's what Jesus says. The Spirit will glorify the Son. It'll show you the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done. It'll show you the fullness of who God is and the way he's moving and working. And he says the spirit will come and do that. And so to set your mind on the spirit, as the spirit will then teach us, he's going to glorify Jesus. And so I want you just to think real practically what that might look like. Each day we face different things. Uh, this year, in 2020, it's been seems to be magnified. Political division, COVID-19, people getting frustrated with it, 
and we're faced with how do we handle this? And what does it look like? And I'll tell you the things that come at us and people get defensive and they argue. And they say, you should wear masks or you should not wear masks or you should vote for this person or you should not vote for this person. Or this is the political view you should have or this is the one you shouldn't have. And all of it wells up in us. And in those moments, every single one of us has this feeling that wells up of our flesh. I can't believe they said that. And I want to be right. And I want to tell you where you're wrong. And I want to show you that. Have you felt that? Am I the only one? You hear things and you read things and you read on social media and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I don't like that. I can't believe I see it that way, or I can't believe they see it that way, or whatever it is. And in all those things, your flesh wells up. And suddenly you're tempted to walk by your flesh. And and I'll just be real honest, I'll put it in my own, I'm not going to put this on anybody else. I feel that at different times. And as a pastor, and not just as a pastor, as a Christian, we're called to make disciples who make disciples. We want to grow in obedience to Jesus in every area of our life. And so I see friends and people I love and people that go to church here and people that are in our sphere of influence that are Christians. And they go, I can't believe this. And they say something. I go, that's not what scripture says. And I go, I don't know that I really want to tell them that. You know why? Because about half the time, I say it, and they go, oh, yeah, okay. And we pray about it, and it's great. And they're like, yeah, I need to think about that. And half the time, it's like kicking a hornet's nest. In 2020, it's like 70% like kicking a hornet's nest. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I don't like that. And then what happens in me, and I'm not putting this on anybody else, what happens in me is my flesh wells up. And I go, but I'm right here. That's what the Bible says. And I'm quite certain this is what the Bible says. And now I want to argue, and I want to be right, and I want to tell them, and I want to be in control, and I want to justify myself, or simply put, I want to walk by my flesh. And you know what happens when I do that? I lay awake at night. And those conversations go in my brain. Like, oh, I can't believe they said that, and they should see this. And you know what happens? It's death. Setting your mind on the flesh is death. It's miserable. And what happens is I want to justify myself in everything. But you know what happens when you set your mind on the flesh, I mean on the spirit? It is life and peace. Because God graciously reminds me, you don't have to justify yourself. Jesus has already done it. Spirit powerfully says, you don't have to be right. You can lay this down. You get to love people the way I've loved you. You don't have to walk around correcting everybody that you think is wrong. You speak the truth in love and you let me deal with the conviction and I'll do it. And I go, thank you, God. And you know what happens? I go to sleep. I go, how do I do that? And God so graciously reminds us. And so how does that look? What I've found is this. When somebody says something or it starts to get tension, I stop and I pray for them. I pray that Jesus would be glorified. And then I say, God, would you show me where I am wrong? Would you teach me? Would you humble me? 
Would you remind me of the things that I'm missing here? And then suddenly there's a whole lot of things I'm missing often. And there is humility. And you go, thank you, Jesus, that I'm justified by you and not being right. And would you be glorified in this? And what happens is life and peace. Because it's no longer about me. And it was never supposed to be about me. I wasn't created to be about me. I was created to love God and to love people and seek to glorify him in all things. And that's what it looks like to walk by the Spirit. And I'm going to tell you, for every single one of us, it is really hard to walk by the Spirit a lot of days. In 2020, it's really hard to walk by the Spirit. And you're going to face it every single day. And so next week, we're going to continue to talk about, well, what does it look like to walk by the Spirit? It's it's you seek God in His Word. You make a habit of regularly praying and asking Him to teach you and to show you. And the good news is the power that is at work and all that is available, He says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you and I will continue to do that. The problem is, we often are like the dog that returns to its vomit. I was miserable when I walked by the Spirit, but I think I'm going to try that again. But God graciously keeps calling us into walk by my spirit and I will glorify Jesus and I will remind you who you are in him. And so my prayer for each of us, you know, 2020 is not over. There's still lots of division and struggle, but that we'd be people of salt and light that are praying and asking God, I want to walk by your spirit. I want to glorify you. I want to show people what you're like in every instant. What would that look like? Grace and mercy and love and kindness and patience and gentleness and self-control in all things. And God will be glorified in that. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. That you love us. That you meet us in the middle of it. I pray that when our flesh wells up, that we want to make it all about ourselves and our Opinions and our thoughts are that we would stop and look to you, that you continue to regenerate us, to make us new, to make us into your image, that we'd be people of grace and mercy and love. I pray that we'd be people that diffuse tensions, that you would work in and through us to show people what you're like, and it would be all for your glory and your honor. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.